Hi, everybody. This is Charlie Peck from Thriving School Community Podcast. Today, we have Leslie Jones-Sessler. So Leslie is an education consultant and a school and home school presenter. So there's a lot that Leslie is bringing to the table today, but what is so very valuable from Leslie is number one, I love that Leslie will speak her mind because she cares so much about education and about our kids and her kids. And also I'll let her explain why she's a homeschool presenter when she has a past um, history of being an educator principal, superintendent um, in the education system. So we all know it's it's having some issues and Leslie's going to give us perspective on that. So Leslie, welcome. Thank you, Charlie. It's so good to finally meet you after years, right? On Clubhouse. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Well, you. people, if people don't, I don't know if people engage too much on Clubhouse, but if they did or they have I'll tell you, when you meet people like you and you get connected and you talk so much and so deeply, then you do. You want to keep going back there to, to meet up. And so people like you and me, we keep that going, even if we step out of it for months and step back in. Yeah. Um, it's just really valuable. So I truly am grateful to have you here, Leslie. So please yeah. just tell me and tell our listeners who are educational leaders and mental health visionaries to create change for our kids. Can you just explain a little bit about what your role was in education before and why you stepped out of that? Sure. So boy, I, I, I've had several roles, but I was a teacher. And then from that point on, I became a literacy coach and then an assistant principal, then a principal, then a, an assistant superintendent, and then a college instructor. I'm still a college instructor now and um, a mother and a wife. Yeah. And suddenly was thinking here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where will our son go to school? I will say also that in teaching, I've had experiences in traditional schools, traditional education, and also progressive schools. And I am a progressive educator. I believe in everything hands-on, child-centered learning. Uh, the children have a voice and a choice and hands-on experiential learning. So Charlie, I knew, and my husband was all for it, that we wanted our son to have experiences where his creativity and curiosity and his voice and choice and who he was and who he is would not be diminished. And again, I, I've been in both spaces where I've seen where things like that do happen, uh, especially to brown and black children. Mm -hmm. And I've been in spaces where things like that do not happen. Uh, after looking for schools here, I could not find one. And then suddenly homeschooling was more of an option. Uh, then the world shut down with COVID and we pulled him out of the preschool uh, or rather the daycare center where he was going, the child development center. And when it was time to perhaps think about what we were going to do next, it was like, why not homeschool? My husband was all for it. And so then it became a question of what type of homeschooling. And again, looking for a progressive model, I wanted it to be the type of teacher that I was uh, in progressive schools. And um, it's been a wonderful journey. It's been over three years now, wow. homeschooling him. And the reason for being a home school and a school presenter and an educational consultant is because Charlie, as I'm sure you know, just from listening to me and our conversations, I will never give up on children. I am an advocate for all children. I will never give up on families. It's I mean, very I've got, clear. Yeah. I've got goosebumps when I, can, I, I feel that. it too. I do. You know, and, and I and thank you. And and I get that from you. And I I feel that 
I'm sometimes in this space where I feel that people want me to pick a side hmm. and I don't want to pick a side <laughs> yeah. because it's for all children. And so I am now here to help people, whether you are homeschooling your child or whether you are schooling your child and you just want the best for your child. And so that that's our journey. That's what led us here. Wow. I mean, there's so many questions there, Leslie. And one of them is kind of like an assertion I made is that it seems like you lost trust with the education system at some point and mm-hmm. probably several points. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know what that looked like and, and where that trust got lost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will, I will say that it's an interesting word of trust that you use, Charlie. I think in some school systems, the powers that be do not want you to have trust in children. They don't. Okay. Go deeper there. And by the way, I don't want to put words in your mouth with that. So please. I loved that. No, because trust trust is so important, especially as a homeschooler. It's about trusting my child. And as a progressive educator, I trusted my children when I was in traditional schools. Children really did not have a voice and a choice. And they were like, almost like you can't trust. The message was you can't trust them. You're the one that has all the answers. The teacher is the person that's responsible and in charge, right? Mm-hmm. And I wasn't allowed to really trust them and put my trust in them and have them trust me as much as I wanted to because relationship building does not happen as much as I'd wanted to in a lot of traditional schools. It's really come to school, take your book bag off, get ready for work. What that looked like was a lot of rote memorization, a lot of rigid learning, a lot of uh, top-down teaching, teaching to the test, anxiety, depression, mental illness, uh, just so many so many burdens, so much stress and anxiety on my children and so many exams. And it was more like looking at them as if they are a number, a numerical value or a grade rather than a person. And so a lot of that just, it just got to me. And and even as, as an educator, as a teacher, I found myself in the bathrooms crying at times, like, well, why can't I take them out on trips more? You know, having my assistant principal say to me, too many trips to the, to the zoo in one year, that's that's too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or if I wanted to have my children sitting on the carpet and a time to connect and to build relationships and to have them talk, I'd have teachers walking by like, oh, are you doing that for behavioral modification systems? It's like, no, I'm just doing this so they can talk and tell me how their day is going. So when, you, when you're in systems like that, you you start to realize this is not where I belong. And yet the students don't really have a choice. I mean, I, I, I left and I feel bad uh, somewhat because I went to progressive education, which I loved, but there are a lot of children that are still stuck in those systems. And, and I worry about them. And now the world has COVID that we're getting through. It's got suicide issues that are, our suicide numbers that are going up. I've been in schools where children have cut themselves. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's a lot. It's a lot that children go through. But yeah, that's that's what I dealt with 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 some of the system. Yeah, I mean, I can see where that frustration clearly comes from, especially when your kid, your own kid, is is entering that system, and it does startle you a little bit. It does. It does shake you up a little bit to think, hmm, 
what is my kid going to experience when they get there? And so there has to be trust. And, and I think a lot of people are losing trust in the system. We're hearing it from the teachers who speak all the time about this. And you were mentioning it before we started recording is about how teachers feel like they're being, um, they're kind of getting in trouble. I don't know. How, how would you explain it the way you were talking about it before? Cause it was really clever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, Charlie. Um, I still have triggers. I, it, it was very traumatic for me and for, for many teachers. Um, I can remember in the traditional school where I worked in one of the schools, rather where I worked, where my principal would walk in with the clipboard and it was this, I'm here to get you mentality. I'm here to write you up. Mm -hmm. I don't think what you're doing is right. I've, I've got to have something to put down. There's got to be something in this classroom that that is not functioning. That's not working. And so that's one example. I, I'll never forget. I also uh, went to the school first thing in the morning with probably my coffee in my hand, uh, ready to, uh, this, this is age, just aging me. We had time clocks. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. We're all in this together, Leslie. <laughs> I clocked in and uh, lo and behold, right above the time clock um, are the results of the latest standardized test to show teachers how their children did and how they did. And this was the beginning of the day. Um, hmm. I worked in a, in, a, in a school where there was tracking uh, stratification. So the children knew uh, the levels of classes from the lowest academically to the highest gifted and talented. Uh, qu quite strategically, I was with the bottom of the children, which I did not mind because it's my job to build them up, but we were placed in the basement of the school wow. where the gifted and talented classroom, they were right next door adjacent to the principal's office. So the messages were there in so many ways. And like I said, I'd be in bathrooms crying uh, for myself. How do I teach the children the way I really know they should be taught? And knowing that the children just have to take so much on themselves. So yeah, mm -hmm. that, that still exists to this day, some of those systems. Yeah. And it does, it absolutely trickles right down to the kids and their life experience. And it, it can shape them as we know it shapes them. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. So let's think about this for a minute then. If teachers are feeling this way, and a lot of that has to do with leadership, I, I hear that a lot, a lot too, but I also hear leaders thinking like, I'm trying so hard. I, I don't know why I can't connect with them. I don't know why they think they're so invalid because I validate them all the time and that doesn't work. So yeah. what do you think the real problem is then? I think the real problem, it's interesting. I think we go back to that word trust again. There are some school systems in place, school systems in place where the powers that be do trust teachers. They do trust principals. And I know I talked about a lot of negativity and I have as much, if not more positivity. I will recall being a school principal in Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, it was a wonderful superintendent. I love giving him credit. Dr. Eugene Sanders was a superintendent and his dissertation was in single gender schooling academies. And he created, the, I believe, yes, the first five single gender schools in the Cleveland public school system. And I was the head of school of one of those schools. And I'll never forget, he said to me, Leslie, make this school like no other school, like no other school. So that right there, Charlie, yeah. is a superintendent saying you have the liberty, you have the power, the freedom. And all I had was a school building 
and a fax machine. You had another another trigger word, fax machine. <laughs> guys, like today, guys are like, what is a fax machine? <laughs> and like, Scantron. Oh, I bet I'm Scantron like, too. Yeah. My students are like, what's a fax machine? I'm like, oh my gosh. That's funny. So, so I had I had a fax machine. I had a building. I was able to hire my own staff. Nice. Right? That's a big I deal. Was, I was able to uh, implement the curriculum. And when I did that, I had in mind, for example, a curriculum program called Responsive Classroom, which speaks to the social and emotional learning, the joyful learning of children and teachers every single day. So in my mind, I'm thinking, wow, I I get to create this amazing school. I get to implement the professional development. And I was there for four years. And when I tell you, there was so much joy so much love, so much trust. My It was an all-girls school. As I said before, my girls used to come skipping to the school and running to the school. And as the head of school, I would meet them in the morning and give them hugs off of the school bus. Not one time in four years was there a fight in that school. Oh, wow. Really? Not one fight in four years? Do you hear about it all the time? Well, not all the time, but a lot lot about that. Okay. I'm sorry. Go on. Keep talking. It's so nice. And as and and it's about uh, we used uh, McCrell's leadership traits, and one of the leadership traits is visibility, um, and it it was about being present. So I knew I didn't want to be ahead of school where I'm pushing paper during the day. I wanted to be out there in the classrooms and we called them uh, colleges, women's colleges. So we had our Spelman girls and our Wellesley girls and our Barnard girls and our Misericordia girls and our scholars, our college students. So inside we were saying, you can go to college, you can get your graduate, your terminal degrees, whatever you want to get, you can be that. So the messaging was high, listening to them, being an active listener, um, empowering them to be whatever they wanted to do, to put in front of them positive role models of women in the community that looked just like them. My staff was very diverse. Um, And as I said earlier, with the uh, social and emotional learning curriculum, we have responsive classroom where Charlie, every single morning when our children arrived to school, it was a very sacred morning uh, moment. They would actually go into the college classrooms, their classrooms, and for about 30, 35, 40 minutes, they would have morning meeting. They'd play games. They would talk about their lives the night before, if a dog died, if a grandma was visiting, if um, something happened with their uncle, if, if, if someone stepped on their foot, if whatever was going on in their little minds and they wanted to get it out, they talk about the day. And we had systems in place for if problems arose, if something was going to happen, like what, you know, like a punishment reward system, we wanted to do it the right way. So yeah, there were a few expo, a few um, explosions, a few suspensions, but it really happened after so many other things happened first, but it was such a joyful and learning environment. And so what I would say to teachers, um, As a college instructor now, I I say to my teachers, make sure you know where you're going to land. Make sure with your educational philosophy, if you really want to be in a school system where you can really help students with all that they come to school with, all the baggage that they come to school with, make sure you'll have the classroom, the teaching staff, the principals, the parents, that will work with you, make sure that that is a place where you can do those things. And in my school, you absolutely could. So so it's, it's about the teachers being able to really 
find places where they can land. And it is about superintendents and principals trusting teachers because teachers are phenomenal if we just trust them and if they trust the students. I can't hear you. I'm so sorry. It's because they're cutting my they're cutting grass next door and putting a oh. and I'm thinking, what? Why are they doing this right now? So I'm muted. So I didn't I don't hear them. I don't hear them. But no, well, you you might. Okay. <laughs> but sorry. Um, Does that answer your question? Oh, it totally answered it. And I my mind is re reeling here. Like there's just so much to dive into. So what I kept thinking at the end, like as you were wrapping that up about teachers and leadership, is that I hear in my head some leaders we've worked with saying, Teachers are great for the most part, but there's a few of them, they just don't seem reachable. And I hear that over and over, like they're not willing to try anything. They're just so close-minded and they're bringing people down. So what would you say to that? I know you've had experience with that too. That That is so true. Uh, what would I say to that? Uh, oof. You know, change is inevitable and that's how I look at it. Um, I may not want to change, but I know that I will probably come out of this being a better person and I will gain knowledge from the change. Yes, there are many people that are not willing to change. I've worked with some of those teachers um, when I was a teacher, like, why are they giving us a new curriculum? You know, what I'm doing is fine and we don't have to do this and I, I'm refusing to do that. That's a hard one, Charlie. Um, honestly, you, you, you just kind of you kind of hope that their time to leave the system happens quickly. And I know that sounds so bad. That sounds so bad right now. Um, it's, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's really hard to work with someone who does not see the value of, of things changing. And yeah, even like the teaching of reading, the teaching of writing, the teaching of mathematics, like things change today than the way where the way they were 10, 20, 15 years ago. So why not be open to learning? But some people are very close-minded. Um it's 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 a really hard one. They're 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 rocks and they just don't want to change. And uh, yeah. It's a tough one. It is. I mean, I equate it to therapeutic practice. If I have a patient I'm working with or a client I'm working with and they don't want to have any kind of personal change. Okay. I'll sit with you until you're ready to make that shift because I can't do that for you. And it, it's kind of like that in education. Well, how miserable do you want to be showing up every day? So and I know there's layers to that because we do have to look at what's contributing to their frustration because they are frustrated. So there's a lot and it's so blanketed, like it's such a blanket term to have teacher burnout and all of that. So I appreciate that input. I know it's a tough one. It's tough. Um, so let's, let's go and shift to the homeschooling then because. Oh my gosh. We haven't talked about that, right? <laughs> well, I know. And that's because oh all of this goodness. led up to that, right? And yes. that's, that's a big step. I think a lot of people, <laughs> I think there's a lot of camps here. Some of them are like, heck no, that I will never do that. Uh, but some people may <laughs> want to do that, but there's limitations and barriers to that. So if they could, um, I know that they, the, the picture that I would paint for them is exactly what you are doing. You truly have so much joy in having your kids home to be able to, to show them life the way you do in an educational, but a real, real way. And so people who are limited and have to send their kids to public schools, uh, mm -hmm. I would say they get to send their kids to public schools when they feel trust is there. So again, there's a lot to fix there. So let's, okay. 
let me pull this back around then. So we talked about where your past was and what led you. So when did you make that actual choice to homeschool your kids? Like what was that defining moment and what kind of education are your kids getting now as a result? Yeah. So I, I have one child. Um, his name okay. is- I thought so. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. No, no, right. No problem. He's seven years old. Uh, you know, that defining moment came for me, Charlie, when Sammy was probably three years old and diversity means so much to me. We live in such a beautiful, diverse world in so many ways. And I want him to be part of that world. He was about maybe two or three. And I made an appointment with the superintendent of our local school system here and also the principal of the school where Sammy would attend two separate meetings. And before I went in there, I looked at the statistics. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to see how diverse it is, especially knowing that I am a former teacher and school principal where diversity meant so much to me. And it is important, I think, for all children to see black and brown uh, school leaders and, and school teachers. Mm-hmm. And so I went into the meeting with the superintendent <clears throat> and I wanted to know like what's going on here. Uh, there's not one person of color in maybe five or six elementary schools. Not really, really. And then when it came to the middle school, maybe a little sprinkle and then the high school, a little bit more. And I said, Mm -hmm. you mean my son would not really have someone that looks like him until maybe middle school, probably high school. Um, And the answer that I got back was just not a good one. Like, Oh, well, everybody wants to go to the main public school system again. I know what it's like. If you really want diversity, which I wanted back in Cleveland and I got, there's so many things you can do. So many job fairs, so national searches, get out there, grassroots, get out there. You can you can find teachers that really <clears throat> want to come and teach in, in schools and even in the suburbs where I am now. And then when, also when I went to the school to visit it, uh, it, it, was, it wasn't that traditional, but it also wasn't that progressive. Uh, and again, no teachers of color. And so I would say that was really a defining moment for me because I want Sammy to see what the world really looks like. And so I started homeschooling him. And I will tell you, Charlie, homeschooling, uh, it's, it is a lot of work. It is a lot. It is so beneficial and so wonderful. And our homeschooling journey is one, everyone has their own philosophy. Ours is a very, it's kind of like a roller coaster. There are moments when it's very relaxed. So Sammy gets up when he gets up. Uh, We have a schedule some days. There's buy-in, there's ownership. So we'll put the schedule on the floor. It's got little slots in a packet and in a pocket. And he will say, oh, I think I want to do weekly first, or I want to go for a neighborhood walk, or I want to do some banking or, and, and it really resembles a lot of what I did as a progressive teacher in the classroom. And we'll just spend the day. What I love about homeschooling is that when it comes to reading, when it comes to writing, when it comes to mathematics, when it comes to, to baking and cooking, when it comes to neighborhood walks, when it comes to taking classes on out school, uh, the remote learning uh, internet service, he has as much time and space that he needs and that he deserves. So we're no longer teaching in this 40, 45 minute pocket of time. We're no longer putting him in this little box saying, well, you're seven years old, so you should be performing this way. We're not doing that. He is becoming a natural reader by becoming a natural reader. 
I'm still doing a lot of a lot of work with him when, when it's with phonics and when it's exposing him to wonderful quality literature, library visits, field trips, you name it. But it's at his own pace and lots of toys, lots of child-based play. I'm a huge play-based advocate. So he'll be playing with Legos all day long. But I know that there's so much learning going on. Uh, he also, I should say, Charlie, does go to an outdoor classroom. So in addition to that, because again, I'm thinking, and COVID did this. I was thinking, I saw I saw with Sammy being home, I started more and more saying, Sammy, let's go outside. And he didn't want to. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget, I, I cried privately. I started crying and I'm like, something's wrong here. Be- uh, okay, I'll start crying now because I'm like, I'm homeschooling my child because I want him to play more because in traditional schools, students get maybe 15 minutes of recess a day, maybe. And even that is threatened sometimes. We'll take your recess away. And suddenly I saw my child was like, I don't want to go outside. And I think a lot of it had to do with COVID. And so as we got out of COVID, I I started doing some research and I found a beautiful farm and forest school 17 minutes away. And then about six months later, I found the beautiful nature school about uh, 17 minutes away, right? And he he now has, I call a tribrid. So Sammy goes to a nature school a couple of times a week. He goes to a farm and forest school once a week and he's with me homeschooled. And now I'm actually about to teach a class called Love of Literacy on Fridays where I'm bringing sort of like, um, we're actually creating a a micro school. I've been so fortunate to partner with two other homeschoolers, the Nature School founder, her name is Lena. And then Ashley is also a homeschool parent. And she's going to do a, a wonderful curriculum called Thrive, which teaches about entrepreneurship and professions and things like that. Oh, wow. And we're going to have something in place called Mosaic Micro School that's launching in August. And we're going to be able to provide to provide for homeschool families five days of the week, something wonderful for children. Wow, Leslie. It's it is it is it's it is amazing. It is so amazing because we're going to give to parents something for their children that involves outdoor, natural nature learning in the wilderness, gardening, hiking, connecting with yourself, just loving nature and 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 really understanding how that helps you with cognitive, social, emotional, language development lack of depression, lack of stress, lack of anxiety, and then looking at yourself and you with your identity. What do you want to be? Who are you? And really defining by seeing other entrepreneurs in this city that look like you. And then for me, a love of literacy, teaching readers and writers workshop and game schooling uh, through play. So yeah, you're getting it all today. Well, you're sharing, essentially, you're doing a network of people and then kind of sharing the load and providing for their kids opportunities they may not get. Just using your creativity. It sounds great. Oh, my gosh, you're going to have to. Well, you're going to have to bring that to Clubhouse. I'm sure you will. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. I'll talk to them tonight and let them know. (laughs) You really do need to do that. And there's so many, so many ways you can get that out there. But it's, it's essential that we do that. And it's, I think that's part of the, the, it's like a, 
either a fear or just an overwhelm that parents feel being with their kids a lot anyway. It's, mm-hmm. it's hard to try to keep them busy all the time. And I think that becomes overwhelming. And so I think school is kind of respite sometimes, but it has to get to such a point where you're like, I can't trust the school. I can't send my kid there. It's just not the best thing for them. I've got to do this. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people went at COVID times. I really do think that happened just based on people like you who, who brought this message to us. So, you know, and I'm in the business of, Kids are going to go to school. Kids are going to go to our schools and not everybody is going to have the privilege to get to keep them or have the skills or the patience or whatever you want to call that resources to do that. Right. And so I want to draw from people like you who have that incredible insight to say, listen, what do we do when we do send our kids there? What can we do to give them that voice and that choice that they need? And I mean, you're right. A lot of them are just sitting in that school all day long without movement, without fresh air. And we don't have a lot of control over that when we send them to these places, right? What do you say that we do? What do we need to do, Leslie? Yeah. So, you know, advocacy is so important. And I, I, we go, we're going back to that trust again. I know that a lot of parents, um, and I, I, I don't blame the parents and, and I, and and I don't want to, I don't want to blame anybody. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just, how do we work together? How do we work together? A lot of parents will send their children to schools and not know much about the schools. You know, some of them may, this is the best school I can send my child to because of their circumstance. And I get it, but they send children to schools and they trust the schools and they trust the teachers. Right. And they trust that my child is going to be safe, number one, and my child is going to learn and my child is going to be happy. And like you said earlier, so much is happening in our schools. Um, One of the things is bullying. There's lots of bullying. Another thing is a lot of parents don't even look at the report card of their school, of their school's district, of their state, and also of the nation. And we think our schools are doing so well, our children are doing so well. And a report just came out just the other day. I think 13-year-olds in reading and math, uh, the way they scored this last time was, I think, decades ago. I mean, that's how low the scores are. Our children are just not thriving in our right. schools. What can parents do? I say parents need to really recognize that you have so much power. You have so much power. And I really think it's about developing and establishing a relationship with the teacher. And hopefully the teacher will be open and receptive to that. But parents need to make a presence known. Don't just drop your child off. Go into the school, visit the classroom, take a tour of the classroom, ask questions, go to the open school night, look at the classroom library. Are there books that are of quality quality literature that represent who you are and what what the world looks like? Do you understand the handbook? Do you understand what will happen if certain things happen with behaviors in the classroom with whomever, your child or other students? Do you know what the homework policy is like? You know, I was talking to someone the other day And she said that the children don't get homework. And she called the school and they said, oh, we're a no homework school. But the parent did not know that at first. Mm -hmm. Why was there that breakdown of communication? Get to know the the, uh, the principal, join or or establish a PTA, but really 
have a presence and know that teachers and parents need to know this. And I, and I really drive this with my college students. Parents are their child's first teachers and advocates. With all of the credentials that I have, I am sorry, but I do not know your child better than you know your child. And for me to act like I do, like, who, who am I? And that's what really bothers me when some teachers are like, well, only I can teach your child how to read and only I can teach your child and I've got this and that. You're not the parent. And I also try to say that there are parents getting back to maybe mental illness or just emotional issues. Mm -hmm. Parents have a lot on their plates these days. They do. They really do. A lot. And so we need to give them grace and we need to accept them for where they are and work with them and not judge them. I think you've heard me talk about that. Like, let's not judge the parents. Let's really establish a partnership. So mm-hmm. that's what I would do. And if I were the school, I'd be like, how can we how can we establish it? And I'll tell you one more thing real quickly if I have time. Sure. When I was at the school, thank you, in, uh, in, in Cleveland, it was an urban school. So we have black and brown children uh, in the urban, urban school district, urban city. And what bothers me is when I hear some teachers will say, well, you know, they don't want to come to the parent-teacher conference and, you know, they'll show up for this event or that event or their child looks like this or that. Charlie, at my school, we had 100% attendance at our family conferences in the inner city, 100% for multiple years. Really? And yes, yes. Okay, tell and, people how that happened. Is that a whole other episode? My goodness, Leslie. I think it is another episode. Keep but going. again, it's 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 the education. I didn't make this up myself. I'm learning this as a progressive educator. And I thank God for the mentors that I had and the college professors that I had. Um, but family conferences, we stopped calling them parent-teacher conferences because the child was missing. How could the child not be there? Mm-hmm. It was a family conference. It lasted for about 35, 45 minutes or an hour. When I was in progressive schools as a teacher, sometimes my parents would take me out to dinner to a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way we did it in the inner city quickly is that, uh, first of all, my teachers, my beautiful, amazing, wonderful teachers that I hand-selected, right? They were amazing. They wrote what's called written narratives. So our parents did not get this this regular template of just a, a numerical number or a grade, and then a little space to put three sentences and probably two out of the three were about the, the state test and how your child performed. We had written narratives where my teachers spent hours. I free, I freed them up. I gave them time. I covered their classes. They would spend hours and they would work on these written narratives, which were about maybe three to five pages long on each child. Oh my goodness. Wow really show the parents, I know your child in this way. And then when it was time for the family conferences, I worked with my amazing uh, uh, family, whatever you call them, I can't remember, but my, my family council, amazing, beautiful parents. And we made it so that Thursday night in the evenings, the we would hold on to some of the students and their parents would come into the building and we'd have a family conference. And then the next day, all day Friday, we would have musicians and, and workshops and, and you name it, substitute teachers would come in and all of the students would be in different workshops throughout the day. So whenever the parent would show up for the family conference, we'd have runners, the girls would go run and get the other girls and they'd all go off to the colleges. They'd have their family conference. And that's how we did it for the entire day from like seven o'clock in the morning until maybe seven or eight o'clock at night. And if a parent showed up, which happened a few times, 
without their child, I'd say, oh, it's so good to see you, but we can't have the family conference because you forgot your child at home. Like if it was Thursday evening and we reschedule. Another thing is we'd make home visits. My teachers would make home visits. That's what you have to do. Make home visits, make it so that it meets them where they are. So you can have 100% attendance at your family conferences if you put in the work and if you respect your families as partners. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that truly is another episode because there's a lot to break down there because people, I can imagine people saying, yeah, right. Like, yeah, right. I'm going to do that and add that. Yeah, right. However, it sounds like the way you set up the whole system, it allows space to do that. It doesn't sound like your teachers, I don't know, because I, I we haven't talked about it. It doesn't sound like they had a lot of animosity towards that. But if you ask teachers to do that these days, they're like, there's no way I can spend that much time on one kid writing that report. So there's, I'm sure you had a uh, a good system for that too. That worked. I can tell. I can tell. Right. Yeah. And in the way you work with teachers, it's just a very different kind of relationship than we're seeing. It sounds like too. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> there's again, <laughs> so much we need to I dive know. into. <laughs> I know there's never enough time. So yeah. let's cap this off then with one last final thought to bring all of this together. Like what okay. final message do you want to give to education leaders and people who are positioned in our schools right now to actually make an impact, whatever their role is? What is it that you want to leave them with right now based on our conversation? What I would want to leave school leaders with um, as well, I'll, I'll stick with school leaders. Um, you, you can never, you can never give children too much play. And especially coming out of COVID, what's happening instead, school leaders are putting more pressure on their teachers to play this game of catch up. And it's really, it's really killing our students. Our students need time outside. Our students need time to just relax and debrief and to smile and to have laughter and to not think about the test. And if there's any way that a school leader could reshape their day so that children are outside, not for 15 minutes, but please, can you make it so they can, they can at least be out there for 35, 40 minutes, at least every single day. And if it's snowing or if it's raining outside and you don't want to go outside, have them be in the gymnasium. Or if they're in the classroom, do what's called game schooling. Have lots of games, have laughter, rearrange the furniture, do some dramatic play. Children need to relax and not be so stressed out. And that really comes down to the school leader. The school leader makes or breaks the school. Teachers want that too. A lot of teachers want that. They they believe in play-based education. Mm -hmm. But again, it comes down to that trust. And a lot of school leaders do not want to give that up. Hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful, Leslie. Even our teenagers, our high schoolers, they need to play too, don't they? Oh my goodness. It doesn't stop there. Yeah. Absolutely. It just, because I'll, I'll never forget my sister once dropped my ne my nephew off and uh, he was giving her a kiss goodbye. And she's like, have fun today, Brian, have fun. And he peered into the window of the car and he's like, mom, I'm in middle school. That stopped a long time ago. Oh, oh, that's sad. I hear you there. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn. Um, but I, I appreciate all this input. And Leslie, listen, I, I think if people want to hear you, they need to find you. So tell people where yes. they can reach out to you, please. Yes, yes. And I'm so glad you said that. So that's watchmonkeymama.com. 
Watchmonkeymama.com is my website. Watchmonkeymama.com is my website. And that's all one word. And uh, you can send me an email if you want. My email address is watchmonkeymama at gmail.com. And uh, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram at watchmonkeymama. And I'm also on Clubhouse. So I would love to connect with, with anybody out there. That would be fantastic. Well, thank you. Truly, thank you. And I do welcome everybody to go check that out at watchmonkeymama.com because there's a lot you can offer and give perspective to anybody at any stage that they're at, right? They don't have to be homeschooling, but you can bring that into the schools in the ways that they they can feel that success there or if they do want to make that transition. So that's exciting. Yes, thank you. And, And for those parents who can't homeschool or don't want to homeschool, there's so many things you can do at home in the evenings, in the weekends, in the mornings with your child. So I'm I'm here to help you with all that as well. Great. And I'm sure they'll want ways to make that really simple so they don't feel overwhelmed because I think they would, but you can make it simple, can't you? Oh, real simple. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you, Leslie. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Charlie. I really appreciate this.